Good day. This is Brother Jim Ellis, and once again, I want to welcome you to Dispensational Ministries podcast. This message is the second message concerning the uh, character traits that are necessary for advancement and survival in this age of the grace of God. In our last study, we spoke about the nature of the coming future kingdom on earth, in which is promised the kind of heaven on earth. This heaven on earth was promised to the Jews and was reaffirmed by the Lord Jesus Christ and his 12 apostles in the four gospels. When we come to study the four gospels, we must keep in mind the context of the Old Testament promises which God had made to the Jews concerning that heavenly kingdom on earth. The teachings of the Lord Jesus were grounded and founded in that kingdom. He presented himself to Israel as the promised king, and all the matters that he covered in his messages to the Jews were centered in that promised kingdom. If one will keep in mind this context of the Gospels, then their understanding of the four Gospels will open up to them like never before. Everything the Lord Jesus preached to the Jews had to do with Jesus as the promised Christly king who would redeem Israel and establish that kingdom. They dealt with the promise of a resurrection for the righteous Jews to enter the kingdom and life and living life inside that kingdom. They involved the righteous requirements that Jesus set down for entering that kingdom. It involved the reestablishment of the correct following of the law of Moses, which the Jews and the Jewish leaders had perverted. It involved a restatement of the law for life inside that kingdom and a fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises God had made to the Jews. Remember, he told them that he did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. One primary characteristic of that kingdom preaching was God allowed faith by way of the seen. In other words, their faith would come to or come by way of the things that they could physically see manifested. But the characterization of this age of the grace of God requires faith in the unseen and not in that which we can see. In the previous ages, God allowed men and women to see physical manifestations of spiritual things such as miracles, wonders, certain physical sign gifts were given to people to perform those miracles and wonders. God would often intervene in the affairs of men by open miracles and supernatural wonders. In the Gospels, when the disciples needed money to pay for their taxes, Jesus sent one out to pull a fish out of the sea, and inside the mouth of that fish was money to pay their taxes. When the multitudes were gathered together and were hungry, he fed thousands by miraculously creating loaves of bread and fish. When they were sick or lame or blind or deaf, Jesus and the twelve healed them. Because of the nature of this age of grace by faith, he no longer allows those open wonders that can be seen and were seen by physical sight. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 24, the Bible says we are saved by hope. 
But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. He said in Romans 10, 6, But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend in the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. It goes on to say in verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. He said over in the book of Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. The nature and pattern and characterization of this age is faith in the unseen. If we can see it or touch it or smell it or hear it with any of our physical senses, it would not be faith in the unseen. We do not get to see, neither are we allowed to see Christ in the flesh to believe in him for eternal salvation. We cannot demand God bring Jesus down from heaven so that we will believe in him. God is not going to open up heaven and allow anyone to see him or Jesus or the angels or anyone else who is in heaven. That would be faith by sight and not by faith alone in his reserved word or revealed word. We are not allowed to physically see God to prove that he exists. We are not allowed to see heaven and know heaven is real. Physical sight in the spiritual cannot be and is not allowed by God to be a stipulation for our faith. Faith in this age comes by way of believing the already revealed truth of the word of God and not by sight in the unseen. If God were to send manna down from heaven for our daily bread, that would be sight, that would be evidence. Faith is not imagining something to take place and then expecting God to make it happen just because we think or believe it should happen. Faith in this age of grace is believing what God has revealed to us in his word. We do not get and we are not allowed to determine the content of our faith. When we decide in ourselves that something, whatever it might be, should be true or some situation should come into being, the content of faith becomes our own imaginations and not the revealed Word of God. The matters that we'll be covering in these studies and the next three studies will be in some sound biblical character traits for living under the age of the grace of God. Traits which are indispensable and invaluable for living solid and successful spiritual as well as physical lives under the tenets and principles of the doctrines of grace. I hope to make it clear in the coming studies why these traits of character are so vital to living in this current age of grace. Principles such as self-reliance, self-sufficiency, initiative, resourcefulness, inventiveness, 
These things do not diminish our need for faith and trust and reliance in our God. All of these traits must be tempered and exercised by way of the doctrines of grace and faith that are very much part of this age of grace. The traits that we'll be speaking of in these studies are not excuses for greed and lust and covetousness. They are not excuses for greed, which ignores the principles of helping others who need our help. Or they're not ambitions which overrun or take advantage of and diminish others in order to promote our own selfish wants and advancements. These traits will be that we will be mentioning and speaking about here must always be viewed from the principles of love and compassion and grace and mercy and the need and necessity and tremendous help we can receive through fervent prayer and a fervent prayer life. For instance, one of the traits we will cover is self-sufficiency. But we can and never will become so self-sufficient that we do not need to pray or that we do not need to seek the blessings and of God and be dependent on Him and His guidance and our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If that way of life becomes a person's viewpoint, then that person has missed the entire point of grace. When Paul was discussing in his epistles of Romans the differences between a work salvation and free salvation by grace, he said, therefore it is a faith that it might be by grace. God decided he was going to give all believers in Jesus Christ eternal life by his grace through faith alone, apart from any works on the part of the sinner. Why faith alone? Simply because that is the only way grace can be grace. If it came by works, it would be deserved and earned and not by the grace of God. See, grace is God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. ourselves. Grace comes to us from God as a free gift. Grace in the Bible is never defined as something we deserve or something we have earned. It is His grace, and He freely gives us His grace. Therefore, if grace was to remain the pure and undeserved grace of God in salvation, it could and does only come to us by faith alone. That was the will of God and the determinations of God. Works and grace are completely opposing, contradictory, and conflicting spiritual matters when it comes to salvation through faith. The two can never be mixed together in salvation or be made compatible one with the other. That is why Paul said in Romans eleven six, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Faith, on the other hand, can be combined, combined together with works and become compatible one with the other. The law required absolute, absolute obedience, but it also required an element of faith in the one true living God. I'm speaking of the law of Moses. A Jew was compelled to keep the law 
because of the existence of the one true God. When the Jews strayed from the law of Moses, it was because they had lost their faith in him. Simply, if he does not exist, then why keep the law? If there is no God, then there is no reason to obey a God who does not exist. A Gentile in the Old Testament who decided or chose to be circumcised and become as a Jew had faith in the God of the Jews before he was circumcised. His belief in the living God of the Jews is what compelled that Gentile to become circumcised. The faith contained in salvation by grace is not a work. The faith of grace is a response of the heart, soul, and spirit from the inner man to the truth of the word of God. Works are manifested on the outside of our body. Romans 10.9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart that is the inner part of man, man believeth on the righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Grace is also present and always present in anything God does for mankind. If he does something for us, it is by his grace. It, if it is to be the benefit, to the benefit of men and women. We do not deserve anything from God. He does not owe us anything. But when he does grant us things that are beneficial to us, he does so through his common grace. There is a difference between the common grace of God and the specific grace of God in eternal salvation. I want to read a passage out of the book of Galatians that is a, a passage in Paul's epistles which points us towards our need and some of some very basic character traits that are necessary for life in this age of grace. This passage is found in the book of Galatians chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. He says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest they also be tempted. He goes on to say, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not another. Then he says, for every man shall bear his own burden. Or in other words, his own personal responsibilities. Allow me to break this passage down and trying to explain how this describes these necessary character traits that we need in our everyday life and living life in this age. The word prove in that verse where he said, let every man prove his own work. That word prove means to examine or give diligence towards performing certain tasks or living up to certain responsibilities. It is akin to taking personal responsibilities for the things that you are personally responsible for. In other words, 
making sure that we give attention to the matters of life which we are duty-bound to be responsible for inside our lives. There's a word used in verse 2 of the passage we read where he said, bear ye one another's burdens. That word burden is a different Greek word that's translated burden in verse 5. We'll read that verse again in verse 5 in a second. But the word that he uses in verse 2, burden, describes a physical load. The word in verse 5 that he uses as a word burden describes the burden of some required task or some required assignment. Something that is required of us to do or an assigned task that we are required to perform. Paul here in this passage is teaching us two basic principles. Principles of compassion and consideration and making the effort to help others with their burdens. In verse 2, he told us to to help bear the burdens of others. That word burden in verse 2 depicts a weak and perhaps sickly person struggling along the road with a heavy burden strapped to the back. A burden which is too heavy for them alone for their size and their weight and their strength. But along comes a much stronger man and perhaps a man and woman. And the stronger lifts the burden from the weaker person's back and puts that burden on their own back and carries it down the road for the weaker person. It does not come up to that weaker person and think that person to be of no significance and not worthy of their attention or consideration. He does not consider the weak person to be beneath him just because he is unable to carry that burden the full distance down the road. He does not despise the weaker because he is inferior to himself in strength and physical ability. No. He did what the Lord Jesus would have wanted him to do. He had pity and mercy on the weaker. Paul tells us further on in this this chapter 6, as we had therefore opportunity Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. The second word, burden, describes that of personal responsibility, self-reliance, and doing our due diligence towards our own personal responsibilities. That's what he meant when he said, for every man shall bear his own burden. There is a certain self-respect and self-satisfaction, which comes from self-reliance, accomplishments in this life that are done through personal and out of the understanding of one's own personal responsibility. He said there in verse 4, And then shall we he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, rejoicing not from a sense of pride and ego, But because this person was faithful to follow the prescribed principles of God in his personal responsibility, realizing the fruits of our labors provides in our own selves a true sense of rejoicing in one's accomplishments. You see, there is a certain pride that is condemned in the word of God. But there's also a certain type of personal pride in the scriptures, which God commends. When Paul recounts the many things he endured and accomplished in service to Christ, he was rejoicing in that 
commendable pride of personal accomplishment. Pride that comes to us when we think more of ourselves than we ought to think is never commended. It is actually condemned in the Bible. But pride that rejoices in the commandments, principles, and precepts of our Lord, which brings his blessing, is a good pride. A good pride comes when we are rejoicing in our obedience to the things he's told us to obey. When Paul came down to the end of his days here on earth, he expressed this kind of godly pride of rejoicing in his faithfulness to Christ and the truth of God. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul was about to lose his life due to his testimony in Jesus Christ. But he says, summing up his life for the Lord Jesus, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not only to me, but unto all them also that love his appearing. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, then am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecute the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. When Paul speaks of the grace of God, he's not always talking about uh, saving grace. But many times he speaks about serving grace. God gives us his grace, which will allow us to continue on in his service, even in the most difficult and trying of times. Paul was always careful to give God the praise and the credit for his service and continuance and the results and accomplishments that he most certainly had in his life. Paul never took for credit uh, for, for granted, and he never took credit for the things God allowed him to accomplish. He knew and realized that the, the success of his ministry was always the result of God's grace and not Paul's own inherent abilities. The difference between someone who thinks himself to be something when he is nothing and the godly person who rejoices in himself alone Buying in the grace of God is who, who we give the rightful credit and glory to and the glory for in our accomplishments. Paul knew and admitted that in himself he was nothing. It was only in the grace of God that he was allowed to be used in such a wonderful and tremendous way. There was no false humility in Paul's rejoicing in what God had used him to accomplish in his lifetime of service to him. Doing for ourselves what is within our area of personal responsibility is always commended and even commanded in this age of the grace of God. There's an old saying that we ought to never ask God to do for you what he has commanded you to do for him. The very same thing could be said of doing for ourselves what he has commanded us to do 
for ourselves. Do not ask God to do for us what he has commanded us to do for ourselves. We all have our very own personal responsibilities to ourselves, to do our own business, our own duties, and our own personal responsibilities. Waiting for others, someone else to do for us what God has commanded us to do for ourselves is never commended in the scriptures. We'll read you a verse in, found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. And Paul goes on to tell us that we should do these things that you may walk honestly towards them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing. The word of God always looks favorably on those who are self-motivators, self-starters, maybe entrepreneurs, enterprising people, people who have initiative, people who set goals and work towards their goals in life, people who are said to be go-getters, hard workers. These qualities in men and women have become in this age invaluable because of the nature of change that God brought about for this age of the grace of God. The Word of God favors those who are said to have ingenuity. They have initiative. They find a way to get it done. They find ways to figure things out on their own. They are in many ways self-sufficient. And they have an abundance of self-reliance. They do not give up and make a way to satisfy their needs. It is especially important that we not only have these personal traits, but that we labor to instill these traits into the character of our children. If we cannot leave behind material wealth or a measure of material goods to our children, we must teach and train them how to be self-reliant and have a deep, deep sense of personal responsibility. They must know how to survive in this world on their own, how to take care of their own personal wants and needs. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6 says this, Now we commend you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you redraw, withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the traditions which he received of us. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Be ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Paul called the church together in Acts chapter 20 from Ephesus. And these are some of the last words that he had spoke to these people. He's reminding them of the ministry he had had among those people. 
He said, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands, that is, these hands through hard work, have ministered unto my necessity and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things as you, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. If we do not work and earn our way through life, how will we be able to provide for ourselves and to be able to support the weak? If we do not, or if we were to give away everything we have in this age, and we cease to be able to gain wealth, how shall we help those who cannot help themselves? If we cease to labor, if we give away and forsake our means for acquiring wealth, if we quit our jobs, and we become part of the poor masses ourselves, how will we then obey those above verses? Paul spoke these words, or wrote these words, again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He said, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient, towards all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. The weak here are those who cannot do for themselves. Those who can, but choose not to, are to be shunned and shamed and avoided, according to the Apostle Paul, in the hopes that they will see the light of their wrong. God has told us in his word that he expects us in this age and what he expects us of us in this age in the way of certain character traits. These traits are to be used to supply our material needs, our security and safety and financial needs. They are to be used and exercised through the knowledge and wisdom that he supplies from a study of his word. These traits must always, always, always be tempered by the truth of the Word of God. If not, they will become merely steeped in traits of selfishness and greed and lust and covetousness. Those who are faithful to these traits and the will and grace of God and His Word will be blessed of Him. Those who do not will also experience the rewards of their chosen indolence. That was contained in that those words Paul said, if any man would not work, neither should he eat. Remember the nature of this age. We are not to expect God to do for us what he has commanded us to do for ourselves and for him. Christianity in this age of grace is not a passive, docile, inactive age where we just sit around in all our pious humil- um, humility and wait for manna to fall to us from heaven. Some modernistic, socialistic preachers often portray Christians as meek and mild, sheepish, complacent, cowed, weakly people, people who are almost prey to the elements and whims of the world. That is nowhere near what is taught in the Word of God for us in this age. Meekness is not a form of weakness. Humility 
is not complacency and indolence. Acquiring wealth to feed, clothe, house, and provide for our families and others is not covetousness. Not if it's centered in the will and word and principles of the word of God. But lust that turns to covetousness, which is out of our own greedy, prideful, uh, willful ways, is certainly never, never committed in the Bible. God's people are not to be complacent sheep who are to be led to the slaughter. That is not God's principles and purpose for us in this age. Romans chapter 8 and verse 37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Overcoming in life must always be based in and through him in our devotion and dedication to him. Acquiring all the character traits which a person can possess will be vain outside of him that loved us. The most stable, strong, and self-reliant person on the earth is nothing outside of him that loved us, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all.